when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey Feelers, and welcome to episode 86 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, alongside my best friend and co-host, who hopefully isn't going to date my older sister, who I don't have, Aaron. Hey, man. <laughs> well, hello. And if you did have an older sister, I would not be opposed. Uh, well, then you would get slapped <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> at least based on what we're going to talk about tonight, I might have that same kind of reaction. But anyway, tonight we're going to cover another fantastic coming-of-age film. And we didn't feel like we could take this journey alone, so we decided to invite back to the show feeling TV contributor, Jeremy Kalkara. Jeremy, it is great to have you back on the show, and I hope I didn't butcher your last name. Um, It's Kalkara, but it's Kalkara. close enough. <laughs> I just usually call you Jeremy or our feeling TV guy, so yeah, yeah. give me a little well, grace thanks, there, <laughs> thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. I, I guess when this episode is going to drop, we will have already had our Thanksgiving, so hopefully it would have been, hopefully it will have been great. For Thanksgiving was awesome, guys. Oh, Happy belated Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I loved my Thanksgiving. My bad. <laughs> well, before we get into the particulars of tonight's film, uh, The Edge of Seventeen, I wanted to ask, what's been going on with you guys this week? Jeremy, why don't you kick us off? Um, man, I have spent way too much time watching stuff this week. Um, but the two that I have that I wanted to talk about is first The Punisher. Briefly, I watched on Netflix. Uh, it dropped last Friday, and I wrote about it and feeling. TV this week. So um, if you wanted to know my in-depth thoughts, you could always go check that out on the website. But um, if you're someone who has watched a lot of Netflix's Marvel shows and you were kind of getting tired of it because Iron Fist was so bad and the Defenders was just kind of, you know, mediocre, um, I would say you should give The Punisher the chance because I believe they've kind of back to um, making pretty good TV like during their Daredevil and Jessica Jones days. So I watched that. And then uh, my favorite movie of the year dropped on, uh, you know, digital streaming this week, and that is Brigsby Bear. And so I watched that again, and I loved it even more the second time than I did the first time. It's just a wonderful story that I don't want to talk too much about because, man, you, you can start talking about it, and there's like spoilers five minutes into this movie. But um, it's just really heartfelt and wonderful. It's produced by the guys from Lonely Island who are um, just kind of quietly make some pretty great movies. Um, they did Pop Star last year, which is probably the funniest movie of 2016, and uh, Hot Rod, which is my vote still for the funniest movie of the century so far. So anyway, Brigsby Bear, loved it. Kyle Mooney wrote it. It's wonderful. Everybody should watch it. Very cool, man. I am uh, incredibly uh, impressed with the the recommendations that come from uh, from you because oftentimes they are movies that I haven't heard of, or uh, when they're recommended, they're usually movies that I that I really enjoy. Um, so I'm I'm writing these down actually as you talk. Uh, I know we talked uh, social media about the the Batman Bob Kane documentary that I'm gonna hopefully get around to watching pretty soon because. You know, it's documentaries, and what can you say about yeah, that? that? That's your thing. Yeah, <laughs> but Brigsby Bear, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the list to watch as well to hopefully get in my in my viewing list uh, before the year is out. Uh, Aaron, what about you? I, I I know you've you're always busy watching movies. 
has anything stood out or um, anything new with you? Well, yeah, I mean, I am, I am definitely constantly watching movies at this point and just a, a wide variety of things I'm, I'm blazing through and will be for the next few weeks. You know, at this point, I will be, have just come back from a college basketball tournament in Portland for four days. So I'll have spent some time not watching movies, taking a small break and uh, cheering on my Arkansas Razorbacks. So future me is, is hopeful that when you're listening to this, uh, we have good news to report, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's weird doing these future episodes. I, it makes me want to like predict all kinds of random things, but anyway, um, back to what I've been up to. So what I was going to say is, you know, I don't really have anything specific to talk about, but Brigsby Bear, Jeremy was championing this movie for a while. I, I remember back for months, him talking about, I think back to when he saw it in the theater, he came out of the theater and he was talking about how good it was. And I rolled my eyes because it was produced by the guys from Lonely Island. Now, I have not seen this hot rod that he speaks of. This came up in our Facebook discussion group a, a few days ago as well. And I made a comment like, I was like, what the heck is that? And people shamed me for not knowing what it was. <laughs> so I guess I need to put that on my list. I have heard nothing but good things about Popstar and Never Stop Popping, but it just didn't seem like my kind of film, my kind of humor. But this one, so so because of that, I really stayed away from Brigsby Bear. I had no idea what this movie was about. I just didn't think it was going to be for me. But Jeremy was relentless and continued to talk about this film and promote it and say, everybody watch this, everybody watch this. So finally, I relented and went ahead and watched it a few few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago now. And it is a phenomenal movie. He is absolutely right. Everything he says it is one of the most emotionally affecting films of the year. I intend to watch it again before the year's end just to see where it's going to fall on my year-end rankings. I try to rewatch my top 10 to 15, if at all possible. And it's very hard to squeeze that in on top of everything else. But I think it's important to, to know what a film is like on second viewing. Uh, I've experienced just in the recent days, films that I thought were fives that have kind of come down just a little bit. And I realized maybe they're not quite the masterpiece that I believe them to be. And, you know, others that I watched that maybe I was a little bit less high on, but it, it just, they had so much staying power that, they get raised up a bit. And so I'm anxious to see what happens with Brigsby bear. Once I know, once I go into it, knowing the story, like Jeremy said, it is pretty spoilery to talk about it. Uh, it really it revolves around this, this boy, young man, kind of grown up teenager. Is he a teenager, Jeremy, or is he a young adult at this point? I think he's probably, I think know. he's, I I did the math while I was watching last time. I think he's supposed to be maybe around twenty four years old. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say it would have, I would have thought it was weird if there was if he was portraying a teenager, but he is a young adult, and um, he has been living with his parents secluded uh, for most of his life. And there's this TV show that he's watching called Brigsby Bear, and he's obsessed with it. And the film takes an immediate twist to it and goes in a direction that you might not be expecting. And then the movie's all about that and how the characters deal with it. Like Jeremy said, it's really difficult to talk about, but I wholeheartedly back up his uh, suggestion. It, Patrick, you're going to love it. I do not have any doubt in my mind. 
that you are going to really, really, really like this film and think that it is stellar as well. It's, it's just special and it's, it's okay. very unique in the way it handles the material it covers. I, lovingly, passionately is, is what I would say. It feels like the filmmakers and the characters in this movie really are just all in on what they are doing. And so when you can feel that coming out of the screen as a viewer, it can attach you to that viewing experience in a, in a very unique way. So yeah, Brigsby Bear gets my two thumbs up of approval uh, and I would second Jeremy. Everybody needs to watch it. Well, good stuff. I will put that on the list. And I mean, the way you guys talk about it, I mean, it sounds like a Stephen Chbosky film to me, you know, one where you're talking about caring for the characters and caring for the, you know, having that, that visceral connection just all over. Well, I mean, that's, that's all me. So I'm, I'm definitely going to, going to put that at the top of the list. As for me, um, as you guys know, I'm a big documentary fan, but second to that is usually my, my big, uh, love affair with biopics. And Aaron, whenever we get to talk about a biopic on feeling film, it's always a good thing because most of the time I really enjoy them. And back in 2015, a little movie called love and mercy came out and I had not heard of it. I don't know why, but it it came up in one of our feeling film discussions. I don't know if it was what we've been, you know, what are we watching tonight or best week ever? Um, in any case, it was mentioned and it, it, it it's about the, you know, it's a, this biopic about Brian Wilson from the beach boys. And I grew up listening to the beach boys and I loved the, I, I loved their sound, a big fan of the surf music in general. And they were kind of the entry point into surf music for me. And so when, uh, Jeremy and, and Jacob were talking about this. I was like, well, this is intriguing. Where is it? And it's like, oh, it's on Amazon Prime for like the next, you know, 10 days. So I immediately popped it in and guys, I fell in love with it. I mean, this was, this was an incredible story. Uh, if, if you don't know what it's about, it's about the life of Brian Wilson and it stars Paul Dano and John Cusack. John Cusack being what some call my doppelganger, although not so much uh, in my later years or whatever, but I love John Cusack and most of the things that he's in. And so to, to know that he played um, one version of Brian Wilson was kind of intriguing because I would never picture him playing a character like that or playing a, playing a person like Brian Wilson, but it made sense because the movie takes place in two different time periods. It takes place in the, I believe it's the sixties and Paul Dano plays the young Brian Wilson uh, fresh off of their, just kind of in his prime as a, as a musician, the beach boys have you know, become major celebrities and he's trying to find this, this new sound to kind of energize his, his musical passions. And it's, it's kind of where, well, not kind of, it's, it's where we get the, uh, the album pet sounds. And then at the same time, the, it follows the, the life of Brian Wilson in the eighties when he has, I guess, battled, um, I guess it's schizophrenia. I don't know what the official diagnosis was, but this parallel of these, of this, of this, this human being and seeing him in two different eras and how one of these eras led into the second, seeing them parallel with each other, uh, was just incredibly fascinating. It, um, it stars those two guys, Bridget Wilson and Paul Giamatti. Those are the, the headliners. And, what what I pulled away from this was compassion 
um, I didn't know a lot about Brian Wilson, uh, apart from the fact that he was just, you know, the, the, the bass player and songwriter for the Beach Boys. But to know that he was someone who was incredibly passionate about music beyond just making records, but really making music in the vein of like your late Beatles, just being very incredibly creative and, um, and evocative with lyrics and music, the way in which he um, worked in the studio with musicians and tried to create new things to try to just find that different sound. Uh, this, this, this movie did something to, to visualize that. Uh, one of the things I love about the movie Sing Street among many things is seeing the scenes of creativity, watching the guys come up with songs and, and write the lyrics and, and get kind of inspired and get excited about making these new discoveries. And there are a couple of scenes in particular where Brian's in the studio and he's working with all these fantastic studio musicians, like the best of the best. And you see him just kind of meticulously saying, okay, try this. Okay. Step back here. And just watching him as if he's like just a painter, just putting this canvas together musically. It was so wonderful to watch. And at the same time, we see Brian Wilson in the eighties and how he is just being treated by his doctor played by Paul Giamatti. And I'm not going to give too much away because I don't, I don't want to spoil that kind of emotional uh, response to the film, but it was unexpected. I mean, there were times when I just, I teared up because of just the, the, the emotional performance that, that Giamatti was giving and that Paul Dano was giving and that Richard Wilson was giving and John Cusack was giving all four of these individuals completely owned the roles that they were in. And it, it just shot up my list of being one of my favorite biopics ever. I want to watch it again. The other thing that it made me do was it made me go back and listen to pet sounds, which I hadn't appreciated until I watched this movie. And I've been listening to it uh, off and on over the last couple of weeks. And it's when you have the context of this movie in your mind, as you're listening to an album like that, you understand the progressive uh, vision that that a guy like Brian had, and and you come to appreciate that. Now I'm you know I'm I'm a movie guy, so I'm not going to do an offshoot music, you know, feeling music or anything like that. But I, I will say that I've come to appreciate albums like that a lot more, and I'm really enjoying kind of revisiting Pet Sounds, and um, I want to I want to read up more on Brian Wilson as, as a, as a, as a person and find out more about his story, because obviously a biopic doesn't give you everything. It's, it's there to tell a story and not necessarily a complete story. So I was, I was fascinated by it. And, um, as of today, I think it's still available. If you have Amazon prime, it's available for free, but obviously it's going to be there to rent or even to purchase, which I may be doing that at some point. So yeah, it's, it's two thumbs up for me. Well, I hope you do. Cause I haven't seen it yet and I would like to, but I'm definitely not going to get to it, uh, you know, right away. I, I remember cool 95 growing up, Patrick, if mm-hmm. you, you know, yep. there in little rock, that was our, our cool old 95. Yeah, that was our oldies station. And, uh, back in the, I had like a, a two or three year period where I was obsessed with those fifties, uh, what was it? Forties or fifties, sixties and seventies is what mm-hmm. it played. Yeah. And I, I really fell in love with that music at the time. And, um, that was my beach boys era. And so I, but I, you know, past that, I don't have any real knowledge other than that Carly Wilson is his 
daughter, I believe, of Wilson and Phillips. Is that yeah, my, Wilson, okay? Wilson. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty much the extent of it. So I'm excited to check that one out because, as you know, I too love biopics. <laughs> I think to me the best thing about that movie is like it's one. It's rare that you can watch a movie based on a true story, and as you're watching it, especially the his life in the '80s, think there's no way this is true or else I would have heard about this before. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's so, I don't know. I like, I was just floored and like, uh, I watched it late at night and then I ended up staying, staying up and just devouring articles and Wikipedia pages about Brian Wilson. Like, come on, there's no way this can be true. And oh yeah, was, you guys, are yeah. Me. Uh, maybe I'll yeah. prioritize it. I, I think it's available till the 23rd. So by the time people are listening to this, you can't listen to it and oh. watch it. Anymore, so. <laughs> you can't watch it for free. You can yeah. still get it. It's, you, you know. can still buy it. Sorry for getting your hopes up. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this right now. No, I'm not going to say that because that's going to put me into a financial pinch. So never mind. I was going to actually offer. Patrick will buy it for you. Anybody who's listening. <laughs> Thousands of listeners, all of you, email Patrick. Right now, give me a five star review on iTunes, and I will I will buy it for you. No, I'm not rent it. Do that. Rent, rent it. For rent you. it for you. Yeah. Sorry. Whoa, whoa! And suddenly, our podcast is no more because Patrick has to look for a second job. And we're begging for reviews, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that, guys. And um, so let's go ahead and, if, unless you guys have anything else, let's go ahead and jump into our main review, which is the Edge of Seventeen, and um. I know that when this came out, I think it was, was it one of our, our donor picks? Was it one of our selections to, uh, to cover Aaron? Do you remember? It was on a list of some kind. So I went and saw it on a whim one day. In fact, Mm -hmm. I I remember very well when I saw it because I had just started up my movie pass. It was in the fall of last year. Okay. And movie pass had just kind of come out uh, and they were offering this, this uh, special 30 days, like unlimited plan for half off or something. And and so I was coming home from work one day early and it was like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a movie. And there was nothing on that I hadn't seen except this. And so I just went to the theater and stopped and saw it and I loved it. And so I do remember talking about trying to get it on the schedule for a long time, but we never found the right place for it until now. And here we are with the edge of 17. With Jeremy, because I know Jeremy, you were championing this quite a bit when it came up for a possible review, and yeah, um, was it a donor pick at uh, voting or something? Right. Yes, because it came down to that, and um, well, the one that actually won, I can't now, I can't remember, but it was like I think we were, uh, I think you had actually threatened to get on your wife's Facebook and and vote in, on her behalf or something like that. <laughs> it, yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't a vote, donor pick. I think we had an open week or something, and you guys were. It was just a vote. allowing that's everybody right. to vote. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. It was like an open week. So, well, I'm really glad that we got a chance to put this on the schedule. I actually had not seen this until this past week for the show. So this was one that I've been looking forward to, and I was telling Aaron. I think I've said this on the show before that over the last maybe couple of months, I've seen a lot of first time movies or I've seen a lot of movies for the first time. So this has been really refreshing and this one was no different, but I, I wanted to open up by quoting a line that I believe summarizes the movie. So before we get into that, I just want to say that there are always spoilers ahead. Anything that we talk about, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, please see it for the sake of not only your personal enjoyment, but for the sake of the enjoyment of listening to this podcast. So that being said, 
The line is, there are two types of people in the world, the people who naturally excel in life and the people who hope all those people die in a fire explosion. Uh, when I was 13, it was clear which side of the equation I was on, but that's what best friends are for. And I had Krista. This is from our main character, Nadine. And I have to believe that that's pretty much maybe if you could put a tagline or maybe a quick synopsis of this movie, I think we'd all agree that that's kind of the tone of the movie. Uh, would you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. That really does set the tone clear right in the beginning. So knowing that we all love these coming of age films, I wanted to ask you guys what drew you as far as your interest. I mean, uh, um, Aaron, I know you went to this kind of on a whim uh, and I guess it was influenced by movie pass, but obviously something had to have drawn you in. Was it the fact that it was a coming of age movie? Was it the cast? Was it the premise? Um, for each of you guys, I'm kind of leaving that open to you. What was it that, that got you, got your interest peaked for this? Um, for me, I, you know, I'd seen the previews. I, it must've been, I don't watch a lot of live TV, so it must've been one of those, you know, every once in a while Hulu gets one of those movies that obviously paid them a lot of money to advertise. So you see it every commercial break. Um, so I, you know, I thought it looked funny. I thought it looked like something I'd see on DVD. Um, but then started getting some great reviews. And actually it's funny because, uh, I believe, uh, Gabriel Green, I read his review on it on Letterboxd, and I, it maybe I was like, okay, this is something I need to see in the theater and not just wait to see, which is funny just because, Gabriel, I love you, but I pretty much never agree with you on movies. <laughs> but for some reason, uh, his review made me think, okay, I'm going to go see that. And then I think that I went and saw it that night. Yeah, for me, it was actually similar. So Gabe's review is what put it on my radar as well. Uh, Gabe is the host of a podcast called Underrated, so feel free to check that one out if you're listening, where they talk about movies that they feel do not get enough love. But I had read his review as well, and he was just like, uh, when he loves something, uh, anybody who knows Gabe online knows that you're going to know about it because he's going to talk about it to endlessly. And luckily he did for this one because it is what triggered me to have it on my radar and to decide to go see it. Um, you know, beyond that, it, it's Haley Steinfeld who I absolutely adored in, or I don't know, that's the wrong word. I, I really enjoyed her performance and respected her performance in uh, True Grit, the remake that was done with the Coen brothers. And I think that might have been mostly all I'd seen of her. So I was, I was excited to see what she could do in this type of story. And, you know, just it's a coming of age movie. It had a cute little hilarious bit with Woody Harrelson as a teacher. And I thought that would be fun. And generally, I just really enjoy coming of age stories. So his review plus uh, a genre appeal in general is what pushed me to see this one. Yeah, I was the same way. I mean, not I was the one that did not obviously read his review because I probably would have put this on my radar. But the idea of a coming of age movie is always going to be something that's going to be of interest to me. And, and Haley Steinfeld is, is, is a, is an actress that I've seen obviously in true grit and I've seen bits of her in other things, but what really drew me to this was, well, the podcast, <laughs> but as I got into it, I love the fact that the premise of the film, while it centers around, it kind of starts out with Nadine's best friend, Krista dating her older brother. I love that it shifted from that, that it didn't center around that exclusively, that that was sort of the starting gun. 
And the story really was from the very beginning about Nadine. And I mean, most coming of age movies are about a singular person, about overcoming X, Y, or Z, um, a social awkwardness, some kind of, um, I'm kind of an outsider looking in. But what I liked about this movie in particular was that it kind of dove into a little bit more, it was entertaining, but there were bits of it that kind of explored what I would consider, you know, realistic issues like the, um, of course there's jealousy, there's finding your identity and whatnot, but also a little bit, I don't say a little bit, probably a significant amount dealing with mental illness that wasn't necessarily brought to the center of the stage, but was a huge part of what we understand about Nadine. So as a whole, watching this film play out, it didn't really feel like a typical coming of age movie. It had those same kind of story beats, but it also had something new and well, at least something fresh from my perspective that I didn't expect. And seeing it from that new perspective, uh, even on this first time viewing really made it stand out as one of the better coming of age movies that I've seen. So I was very much impressed with that. I was impressed with how they handled the the themes of the movie, how there were parts that were very delicate and there were other parts that were very aggressive, but they didn't feel uneven. Like it felt like the parts that needed to be handed, handed, handled delicately were, and the parts that needed to be more aggressive were, parts that needed to have levity were. It just felt like a very balanced film from a story perspective. And, and I really enjoyed that. This is also a film, as I mentioned, about mental illness. And Nadine isn't just battling that social awkwardness. And I wanted to ask you guys, did you pick up on that your first time viewing that this this key element of, of her dealing with depression beyond just the, I'm, I'm a teenager who doesn't really know who I am, that it was really kind of an, an actual illness that she was battling. Did you guys pick up on that? So not until the end of the movie, but mm-hmm. yes, I mean, I think, I think it makes it pretty clear to be honest. I, I mean, I really feel like there in the end, there are a couple of scenes that point toward this idea of, of depression. Um, and, and so that I, I got that sense, you know, and maybe it's, and maybe it's partially assumption too. just the idea of thinking of, you know, if you were growing up without your dad because of whatever reason, like, you know, he's died or, or no longer with you, then there should be some depression there. Like it's natural for that to be something that she would be dealing with. I'll tell you what I picked up on more though, Patrick is I, I really this time around just realized how much of a, of a, I can't say it because we, we don't have an E on our podcast, but she is a jerk. Okay. And like, a really, really mean person. <laughs> and I don't know, I, you know, it made me, it made me go through this interesting scenario in my head of whether or not that was okay because she had depression. So does, I knew that she was, she was dealing with this mental, mental illness of sorts. I don't want to call it depression. Is, not a, is it a mental illness? Do we call it a mental illness or is it a, I don't know. What's the right terminology for that? 
we'll just refer to it as depression to make it okay yeah i I don't know if you'd want to call it mental illness i don't want to call it illness yeah i don't know but maybe it is and i don't want to you know offend anybody that that deals with depression i mean i've dealt with it myself but i i I, i'm i have been diagnosed with it and i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) okay official (laughs) answer right there yeah yeah. so we'll just call it depression and move on so she's she's dealing with this depression and like i can think back to when i've been in that in that place as well um but my reaction was not the way that she reacted and that's that's okay um but you know it makes it awkward and th- it really stood out to me this time around like just how it, it was kind of hard to watch at times because it's she is difficult person to root for if that's what makes you know if that makes sense um you normally are going into a coming of age story and you really want to root for your heroine. I equate this a little bit to the the recently released Lady Bird. I think this is a great, great, great companion movie for Edge of 17. They both deal with girls that are around the same age, dealing with very similar circumstances. They're different films tonally. And at times, Lady Bird is a jerk too. But man, Nadine makes it hard. Um, and I think that in the end it does handle it responsibly because of the way that the people around her treat her. I think that it shows us more about how others can act with in relation to someone that has depression versus how the person with depression should act. Does that, does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And what I liked within this film was the fact that we got that tension because you're right, our natural reaction in a coming-of-age movie is to root for the protagonist. And when the creators make it difficult to do that, when they make this person difficult to handle, it almost makes it more real because that's what life is, you know? I mean, we have this ideal of people that we want to be friends with or that may have a particular type of thing going on, and there's the there's the movie way to handle it. And I think this sort of turns it on its head because it takes the protagonist and almost makes her the antagonist as well. And so she she serves both roles in this movie and we don't know how to feel about that. And I love that kind of tension personally because it's it's that ambiguity that we've talked about in the past when filmmakers are able to kind of make you go, hmm, how do we think about this? How do we process what this person's doing as being morally right or morally just or versus something or other. And this movie does that to an extent. It it makes us look at her in a multitude of ways, not only from her own perspective, because she's the one narrating essentially, but also from the reactions of the people around her and how she is affecting those. Uh, Jeremy, did you pick up on that or did you have any thoughts related to, to what, uh, what Aaron was saying? Yeah, I just think that the way it's represented is so, it feels so real to life. Like, I'm sure we've all known people who are just sort of going through a time where they're really self-centered. You know what I mean? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I am rooting for you to snap out of this because, (laughs) like, you know, so we're rooting for them, but we're rooting for them because they're really being kind of an (laughs) a-hole. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you're rooting for her the whole time. But it's because it's because, you know, I mean, you you know, that this isn't who she is and you want her to act the way, you know, that she would like to be. You know what I'm saying? 
but but it is who she is. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Like this is who she is. It's not who and you you said it perfectly though when you said it's not who she wants to be. Yeah, right? yeah. It's mm-hmm. not who it's not who her potential person is. But this is Nadine. Like this is <laughs> this is very clearly Nadine. Yeah, uh, and that's what coming of age is all about, right? I mean, it's about going through these experiences as you're growing up. And Patrick, you love to talk about this, knowing who you are, learning who you are. Yeah. And that's why we love these stories. And right. so she's had a couple of years of losing after losing her dad. She lost that voice to remind her of who she was. You know, mm-hmm. I think of those scenes with her and her dad, like the, the cheeseburger, <laughs> the scene where they're getting cheeseburgers. It's so touching to me because mm-hmm. she's like, you know, what do I have? I blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, you, I don't remember what the first thing he says she has. You have, you have, oh, that's right. He says, you have me and pretty soon you're going to have cheeseburgers, you know, and it's just somebody to speak into her life. So good. Uh, yeah. Who she, who she, who she really is, you know, and to help her stop sort of looking, being so inward focused. She's lost that. And mm-hmm. so it's like four years of this building. Well, and, I don't know. And- and the, and the movie does something really wonderful is it doesn't give much screen time to her relationship with her dad, but it gives us enough exposition that we begin to have that empathy for her because of conversations like that. I mean, that's a conversation that could have gone a number of different ways, but we get this dad who is really trying to connect with his daughter. He's not trying to be anything other than just this goofy dad. He knows that that's who he is. That's his role in her life. It's not to be her best friend. It's not to be her cool her cool dad necessarily. It's just to say, Hey, look, you know, you're going to, you're going to have cheeseburgers here in a minute and, and you have me. And that, to me, that's very honest. And I, I like that in movies that make me feel like they're being honest. Uh, you guys mentioned that brings me bare earlier and how that made you guys feel that, it, that from what I gathered, it found, it sounded like it was a very honestly portrayed film of these characters. Having not seen it, I can't obviously articulate anything on it yet, but I feel like introducing her dad in that way and only this is the other thing, not giving us enough time to linger on him and his presence, the loss of him, I think was amplified for us, or at least for me as an audience, as an, as a, as a person watching, because I felt that loss with her. So to be able to immediately allow me to connect with him and specifically his relationship with her and then to have that taken away immediately to make me feel that way was pretty powerful. And that says a lot about storytelling in general, and specifically about this movie, how the writers and directors and all the people on the creative team were able to say, okay, we're going to run this sequence and then this is going to happen. And I don't know if they were thinking we want to evoke this kind of response, but they did. They got that from me. And I was like, oh, I'm at a loss with you. I've, I've lost that relationship that, I think is is wonderful because we got so much in those moments and then to have that taken away, I think I felt that loss along with her and maybe to an extent understood how she was as we meet her in the, in the present day. It's, it's also kind of interesting to me, like, so like the movie is told from her perspective. She's when there's narration, it's her talking. And so we see her brother as the bad guy, but when when her dad died, you I mean, you eventually come to find out that obviously Nadine becomes very inward focused. Uh, obviously, her mother become I mean, is just as selfish as Nadine. Um, but her brother took that you know who was sort of 
made out to be the bad guy is the guy that like when that happened sort of took the ball of like, okay, I need to make things work now. I'm in charge. You know, I'm not, I'm not in charge, but I'm, you know, I'm the guy that needs to keep things going in the right direction. So in, in his case, he became more outward focused, but he's portrayed as the villain. I just, I like the way that the movie does that and then kind of twists it at the end there. Yeah. I, I definitely want to talk more about Darian's character. Um, but I wanted to also say about the dad's death. Um, I, I like that it's brief too, Patrick, that we don't spend a long amount of time getting to know him because then it becomes his story and it's about his death. And this is not about his death. This is about her reaction to his death. It's about right, how right. she processes it. I really resonate with the mom and how the mom, the very the subtle ways in which we see that the mother is still dealing with his passing. You know, that the, Nadine, Nadine doesn't see any, she has these, she has these glasses on, these blinders, so to speak, on, right? Where she doesn't see the real Darian. Uh, she doesn't see all the things that people do for her and for others. She sees things in her, not rose colored way, but in her, you know, poop colored way, I guess, <laughs> in some ways. But, um, you know, the mom is just, it's so, it's so tender and tragic. Like she's, she's trying to move on. She's trying to go on these dates and it's awkward for her and she doesn't know what to do. And yet she's dealing with this in a different way. And I think that the way that she tries to get the way that she goes, her arc progresses and she goes back and forth in dealing with Nadine because Nadine is incredibly difficult. Um, there's a couple great things. One is, where she tells Nadine, Nadine says, I don't remember. They're sitting in the car and Nadine is, is just really upset and depressed. And the mom says, everyone in the world is as miserable and, and empty as I am. They're just better at pretending. Try it sometime. It might bring you peace. And that speaks to the way that her mom is handling her dad's passing, right? Her mom is yeah doing it in a healthy way. And trying to remember that she, her mom is, her mom is telling Nadine, listen, it's okay to feel this way. What mm-hmm. it's not okay to do is to react the way that you are. And so I just really enjoy the way her mom is portrayed in this because I feel like it's both realistic or, or fair to the character and what the character might be feeling and also somewhat inspirational in that if somebody out there is watching this movie and is a parent, that has lost a spouse. Like this is probably what you're feeling. Like you're, you're conflicted all the time between your own pain and having to stay strong for your children. And how do you do that? Right. And so I like how the movie shows that to us. Yeah. I was, I was watching the latest as of this recording, the latest episode of this is us. And it's no surprise that it's going to bring me to tears just because it's an emotionally riveting television show. But there was talk about grief and I'm not going to give away anything about the show, but there was, it was a, it was an episode about grieving. And one of the characters was talking to a child, um, her daughter about this grieving process and how she processed something. And what, what you, what you said, Aaron was interesting because what I think the edge of 17 does pretty well, really well, actually, is it shows how different individuals grieve from their own perspective. 
and you mentioned it that we see how her mom is grieving for her the loss of her husband and how Nadine is grieving over the loss of her dad. And so we have these relationships that are different. And so her mom saw Nadine's dad, not as Nadine's dad, just that, but more importantly, as her husband, you know, as the love of her life. Now that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, expanded upon, but it was at least meant, it was at least shown that we have two individuals who lost the same person, but they're grieving in different ways because of the way that person, uh, the way that person's role was in their life. And I don't know that we often get that. I think if we see loss, it's usually from a singular point of view. This person lost their insert relative or friend, and the story is usually centered around them. It doesn't necessarily um, put the spotlight on anybody else. And Jeremy, you mentioned her brother. Something I didn't think about uh, with this story was that it's kind of the unreliable narrator happening here, which is a great storytelling device. It's one of my favorites. Nadine is kind of the unreliable narrator because like you said, we are shown from her perspective that her brother is really a jerk, you know, that he is completely self-absorbed and has just made a life of his own and that doesn't really care about anything, but what he's getting out of it. And of course, when, when Krista starts dating him, uh, that just pours salt in the wound, but we don't find out until later what the truth of the story is. And I often wonder what, in what ways we could have seen, maybe if we, if I watched it again, how he is dealing with the loss of his dad, because we never see scenes of the only scenes we see of, 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 of dad is with Nadine. And so we make the assumption that his relationship with her is really the only one that has substance, but we find out through the course of the film that his death is, is, is felt with all three of these individuals. Um, Jeremy, did you did you see that kind of connection with him and 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 that, or at least with the grieving process among the three the three family members? Um, you know, I the only time I really saw the grieving with him is the two times that she or the time that she brought up the she brought up the story about the pillow bringing him a pillow when he was crying after Dad had died, and then mm-hmm. she ends it by saying by being a jerk. Yeah, she <laughs> ends it by saying, "I remember." Or I wish I wish you loved me that much, or whatever. It's like, yeah. um, and you know, and you could tell that really, that really cuts him, you know. And he, so that he, he tends to when you watch it over again, and you realize he's not the bad guy. Pretty much everything you see him doing is like something that a responsible older teenager would do. Like he's not mm-hmm. doing anything wrong. Even when his friends are drinking, he's drinking orange juice and he's cleaning up the house. You know what I mean? And so, um. But when you so you see him able to restrain himself from Nadine's crap, for the most part. But then when he, she says that, you could tell that really bothers him, mm-hmm. uh, because that's obviously something that's still deep and still raw. Yeah, yeah. My sense of him is is really all we get. I think is that he's just he's he's dealt with it for the most part, and he's chosen to move on. Like he's chosen to act a certain way. He, he has made the decision to put others before him to worry about his mom and his sister and to try and keep things together. And that's his way of dealing with the grief. And I think that's really pretty much all we get of that from him, other than what Jeremy specifically said, the scene mm-hmm. 
Um, and then there's, you know, the scene with him and Nadine when he goes to pick her up that he kind of show, he just, he expresses his frustration with her and how she's not being respectful of all of his sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I adore him. I, I think he is quite possibly my favorite part of this movie. And that's saying a lot because I love Haley Lou Richardson, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen her in nothing before this. And I remember really responding to her and just kind of gravitating toward her as an actress and thinking, man, I like this girl. I w- hope she's in more. And then this year I got two more movies of her, which are both really good. She's in Split and they're both also very different. And then she's also in one of my favorite movies of the year, which is Columbus. And it's kind of like a, a romantic friendship movie that mm-hmm. uh, some people are going to really love and some people are going to fall asleep during, but I think she's amazing and she <laughs> really has some strong acting chops. And I think that it was on display here, but moving from that back to the brother to what I really like about him is what you guys have mentioned, how he is not the stereotype. He flips the stereotype on its head. And when that happens in this movie, I realize that I'm in for something different and unique and it's not just another coming of age movie. That's what makes this one special is that it does it. It doesn't just follow every single trope that you expect it to follow. Um, when we see him drinking the orange juice, especially after she's accused him and he's like, uh, no, I am still drinking orange juice. I'm going to soccer or whatever. Um, and then doing the responsible thing and then getting with his girlfriend or getting with his girlfriend, getting with her best friend, the expectation of any other movie is that that is going to be portrayed in a gross way. Like that is a poor choice. That is a bad thing. Your brother, your brother should never date your best friend, but no, that's not what we see. We see that he's a great, great boyfriend to her and it's a sweet, caring relationship. And it's, it's two ways. And He's respectful and, and, and it's like all of the, it's, he's exactly the kind of man you would want your best friend to date. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it totally flips everything on its head for me and lets me ex- connect with these characters more than I would if they were following a typical path where mm-hmm. I was expected to not like him. And so by the end of the movie, I'm really rooting for him as much as her, or I guess I'm rooting for her transformation for his sake. Right. And for the sake of every other character that she has impacted. (laughs) The lives that she's ruining. Sorry. I'm I'm an anti-Nadine for the most part. Well, I couldn't tell that. I don't think either of us could really tell that (laughs) you weren't a fan. But I think you're making a great point, Aaron, that her character and the way in which the story is being told, it amplifies... And I'm going to speak from personal experience. It amplifies what I think depression does is it isolates a person and creates false perceptions of the world around them. And I think what we get are those false perceptions. We get introduced to tropes and stereotypes that are, that we're used to, not just in a coming of age film, but in movies in general. And because by the end of the movie, these things are turned on their head, it amplifies the fact that. Nadine struggling with this depression is a very real thing. I don't think this is a movie that's championing, you know, battling depression and and how to get out of it. I think what it's using is the reality of what depression is as a means to articulate what the world looks like to someone who deals with that in in a more severe way. I I love that it doesn't linger on those things. I love that it's not preachy, but I I love more than anything else that it does create a different 
perspective and a different perception because that's what happens with someone who is battling that. Um, when I've been in deep with that, the world looks like crap to me and everybody's against me and everybody's wrong. I'm right and everybody's wrong and I want everybody to tell me that I'm right, but I don't want anybody to talk to me. It's this this world that just, it's it's this uh, oxymoron of I need help, but I don't want it, that kind of thing. And that's what I think Nadine's character and what uh, what what Haley brings to the role is that she's able to show us that she's, she wants help, but she doesn't know how to ask for it or she doesn't know how to receive it when it comes to her. That I think is the most prominent in her relationship with Mr. Bruner, uh, played by Woody Harrelson. And that whole relationship really sums up the weird, crazy, amazing, beautiful chaos that is her world in the scenes that she has with him because she's, she's confiding in a man, a teacher who is supposed to be a confidant by trade. And he is this completely smart aleck, like, Oh, your suicide note. Yeah. My suicide note's better. You know, I was, it's just, and it's again, flipping the trope, right? It, Instead of the girl yes. being attracted to the teacher, and it turning into some sexualized relationship where, or not even necessarily a sexualized relationship, but the desire for one where she's lusting after her older male teacher. And, yeah. you know, he's a complete actual, like he, you know, is the perfect, like perfect ear to, to lend an ear and be perfect. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not giving us that it's giving us a different type of relationship. Right. It's, it's not what we expect and it's, it's refreshing. And it causes us to think differently about the scene as it plays out or the, or the scenes as they play out. Jeremy, did you, did you pick up on that? Did you enjoy uh, Mr. Bruner as a character and, and his relationship with Nadine? Oh, I loved him. He's so funny. Um, you know, like I think like the first time at first I was thinking, okay, this teacher wouldn't actually say these things to a student, but like the more you get to know him and then, um, you know, then getting to see him later in his own element at home or whatever. It's like, okay, I get this guy. Like they, they, uh, the, the more you see the two of them together, you realize, oh, okay, they have a, they have this relationship where he can say things like that. And I just think he's hilarious. Woody Harrelson is, uh, man, he's great. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish I would have it. I wish I would have had a teacher like him that would have, you know, that would, would have listened to me and that sort of thing, but also just called me on my crap. You know what I mean? Would you have sent a message uh, through Facebook the way that Nadine did? Would that have been your character in high school? <laughs> that you would have been <laughs> vulnerable enough to uh, give to your teacher? Uh, Jeremy didn't ever work up the courage to ask a girl out until he was like in his third year of college. So okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in hindsight, Nadine probably should have waited. Third year in college too. <laughs> yeah, that was, that would have been a better idea. Probably. Um, Aaron, what about you? What did you think of of Woody Harrelson's character? Oh, I I love this relationship. I, it's it is one of my favorite coming of age relationships of any movie that I think exists because of its uniqueness and because of just how much of a jerk she is. His response to that is incredible. Um, and and I'm teased this out, but like this that relationship will be part of my connecting point later. Um, and I, what I really enjoy is 
Patrick, you use this term sometimes, the roundness of a character mm-hmm. and the fullness of his character. Yeah. Is we don't just see him in the classroom. We get nods to her saying things like, again, with that perspective that she has, she's assuming, oh, well, you know, you don't have kids and, you know, it's so easy for you. And yet he doesn't ever, he doesn't ever refute her. He doesn't ever say, correct her and say, oh, no, you're wrong. No, no, no. This is the truth. He just lets her talk and listens. And this brings up some great qualities because I've, I've gone to this training uh, a couple times in my in my YMCA training pipeline called Listen First. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's it, it revolves around the idea that you know we have to be active listeners who stop and don't try to respond. We just let people talk, and it really enhances relationships and really brings about better communication between people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he practices that whether he's intentionally doing it, you know, or not like that's what, you know, he, or he is doing it intentionally, whether it's this training or not, like he's doing that <laughs> and exhibits it. And the, the fact that we then get to see him at home with his family. Yeah. It's, it's humorous, you know, the way that the scene takes place, but everything he does, man, I just love him as a character so much. He picks her up. And he goes to the donut shop and he says, did you buy a donut from these lovely people? And she says, no, he walks over and he puts money in the tip jar, which is him showing the thankfulness that they let her sit there and wait, right? Without, she went into the business. She didn't buy anything. He's, he's giving them something for that. Mm-hmm. He then takes her home. And the first thing he does is get on the phone and say, what's your mom's phone number? You know, like, He's taken this student, this female student to his house. He doesn't want anything to be presumed the wrong way. And he does the responsible thing and calls the family. Yeah. And then the wife comes out and you can see how much the wife trusts him, right? There's no, there's none of this modern day crap where the wife's all of a sudden like jealous because he brought home the female student. The wife trusts and loves her husband and knows that he's a a faithful man and that he's being a teacher and a mentor to her. And so I just, Man, I, I, I get, I love the relationship and I gotta say, Woody Harrelson is such an underrated actor. Like we don't talk about him a lot when we talk about great actors, but even just in this year, look at the variance in roles that this man pulls off and he is always great Mm -hmm. in war for the planet of the apes. He is like one of the best villains of the year, just psychotic, crazy, right? Right. And in this, this may be the warmest, sweetest portrayal that Woody Harrelson has ever done, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I think he's amazing. And so I love everything about this character, and this movie wouldn't be half the movie it was without the, the Mr. Bruner character. His character is one that stood out to me as the biggest surprise of this movie. And, and this is me not knowing anything about the film going into it, aside from the fact that it was coming of age. And you hit on a couple of things that I want to get slightly film and theology with. You mentioned the the idea of, yeah, I was called to think about the passage in James that says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's his character when he's talking to her. Nothing gets under his skin. In fact, he he responds with jokes when she when she rips into him about a teacher's salary. And he's like, I think he underestimated you know, what a teacher makes when, you know, when you do that and the way, it, the way in which he responds to her, it's not harsh. It's not necessarily 
it's tough love, I think is what it is. And I think what he's doing is he's putting up a mirror by just listening and allowing her to hear what she's saying. And the small responses that he gives to her amplify the absurdity, ludicrousness, rudeness, whatever you want to call it, that's coming out of her mouth. And I think it gives her a chance to hear what she's saying and reflect on that. Because oftentimes, and I think we can all agree that when we're in arguments with people, we forget, at least I'm going to throw out social media because obviously typing is different than actually you know talking. But when we're in like conversations and they get heated, uh, when we're physically talking to people, we kind of forget to listen to what they're saying. We're really just about at this point, at, at the point in the conversation when things get really heated, we just want to get our point across and make sure that they know that we're right. I think we can, I know that this is something that my wife and I have been recently talking about in our, in our marriage ministry about communication and how it's not about being right. It's about making sure that each people, that each person is cared for. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was the back about the fact that when he brings her home to his house, the the phrase above reproach uh, stood out to me because that's what he's being. He made sure that when he came into the house as the responsible adult, he's getting the phone number of her mom, not so he could protect himself, but because he's trying to make sure that she's okay and that, that it's the responsible thing to do as an adult. And it's the right thing to do. And you mentioned when his wife comes in, there's no, there's, you're right. There's none of that. There's none of this weird, like, what are you doing here with this teenager? No, she has complete trust in him. And she sees his value as a person and as a teacher in what he's doing. The fact that we don't see that a lot makes me sad because I think there are more people out there that function that way. And the, the problem is, is that the other side of that is better storytelling. And it's frustrating to me. And I think that's what makes his character so refreshing is that it comes out of left field because we don't expect it. We don't expect him to be warm. Uh, and in part, Aaron, I think it's because of the fact that we know the characters that Woody Harrelson plays typically they're brash, they're hardcore. They're not, they're not warm and they're very, they're very, very tough. So on the surface, it would seem we, we got the perfect character for this because we need a sarcastic teacher who quote, doesn't care about his students when in actuality he cares about her very much and he cares about her enough to give her that tough love to listen and allow her to hear what she's got to say and to hear her kind of moan and groan and kind of receive that and, and then to respond in a way that I feel is probably the most appropriate of any character in this movie in terms of how someone responds to her because his was responsive. Whereas I think a lot of the characters were reacting to, to her character. And so I just, I thought that was wonderful. The other relationship I wanted to hit on um, was the, the character of Irwin. Oh, Erwin. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. Erwin is my spirit animal. Adorkably awesome. <laughs> adorkably. Adorkably. That is, that is quite true. Erwin is, uh, yeah, he is definitely a character and, and one that, that I think complements Nadine well early on in the film and throughout that. Uh, some of the, some of the great moments that, that I drew uh, close to were the initial phone calls because those were phone calls guys that when I was in high school, I had those kinds of like, Hey, yeah. Oh, you call. Hey, yeah. Uh, what's up? These just like, how do you start a conversation? How do you react to a conversation? And I could definitely connect with those because that epitomized what my awkward teenage years were like when it came to talking to, uh, talking to girls on the phone. 
especially with girls that I like, but generally just girls in general, uh, I was, I was that kind of guy. So I definitely connected with him in terms of his social awkwardness. Um, but I'd like to believe I connected with him because he was just incredibly smart too, but I digress. I don't think that was the case. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. You want to be a filmmaker. He wants to be, you know, true. Yes, this is true. I think like the first time you see him talk in class where he's like, I like that sweatshirt. Uh, Thanks. Where'd you get it? (laughs) I don't remember. I was like, ah, that's me. That's me talking to girls in high school. It's not knowing what to say, but thinking I should say something. Right. Did you guys feel that their relationship uh, was genuinely uh, one of growth? Did you feel like it was forced or did it feel natural the way in which their friendship uh, escalated throughout the, throughout the movie? I think so. I think like she seemed to go through a thing in the movie where she wanted the dangerous guy and Mm -hmm. realized that wasn't, you know, all that she dreamed it would be. Um, she didn't get to have a romantic rendezvous in the back room of the pet smart or whatever it was called. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it felt natural to me just because she did have that experience with that other guy. I don't even remember his name and the guy in the Mercury grand marquee. Um, but she had that experience with him and just showed, I don't know, just showed her that maybe what she thinks is going to be a good idea. Isn't necessarily. And, uh, that, uh, maybe hanging out with a nice guy isn't the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I really, really like their relationship, Patrick. I I love the beginning. Like you were talking about where they're having those phone calls and they lead up to that first date. And (laughs) I mean, everything about that first date is wonderful to me. It's the, the awkward, like racist joking and his response to it is so realistic and natural. And it's this movie handles things with such innocence it is it is not made extreme for extreme sake it is not made to be shocking and crazy to try and be edgy you know what i mean it just shows us i feel like it's showing us real life people that that exist that we knew and and i really like that about the whole film um that that feeling right about not knowing whether or not to go in for a kiss or not and then it being the wrong time. I mean, we've all done this, right? We've mm-hmm. all tried that. And today, today's world, what Irwin did by trying to go in for a kiss is sexual assault. I mean, let's be honest. Like <laughs> the media would call this yeah. sexual assault and Irwin would be suspended and kicked out of school for trying to kiss her because he didn't ask first. Right. But this shows this in such an innocent way. And I think it, it handles it so well. All of the choices in this movie all of them. I can't find flaws in them. Like he, she says, no, he backs off. This happens again. It, 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 you know, when she's with the guy, right. Um, I don't even remember his name. Is it Nick? We'll call him jerk face. We'll just call him jerk face. Well, is he, but he is and he isn't. So this That's is a true. thing. That's true. This is the thing about him. He is exactly who he was when she approached him. He did not change. True. He did and reacted to what she asked for. What I enjoyed about this scene, obviously he's not the right guy and I wouldn't want my daughter dating him, but what I appreciated is that when he tries to get with her and she pushes him off, he gets angry and he pouts, but he doesn't push. He doesn't press her. He doesn't try to force her. And I I thought that that was 
I just, I don't know. I just really liked seeing that in the, in this world that is in the time period that we're going through right now, where we're learning about how depraved and awful and evil so many men in Hollywood have been, um, with their forcing themselves on women in, in various ways, like to see a guy ex- acknowledge that it's frustrating when a girl tells you no after you feel like you've been let on, but then respond by not doing the thing that you shouldn't do, which is mm-hmm. making forcing her or pushing her or trying to convince her otherwise. Yeah. I really, really liked the way that that was put into this. I mean, honestly, I can't say enough about um, Kelly Fremont Craig's script. And it's, it's amazing because she, this is a first time director that we're talking about right here. This is, this is somebody that is not familiar with this. She's only written three things in total. Uh, This, another uh, feature film and a short story. I mean, her understanding of this genre and, her way in which she portrays it has got to be up there with the best I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I I would definitely agree with a lot of that. And in particular, Nick, I, I believe that's his character name. He's unapologetic about who he is. And one of my favorite moments is I think it's, so they start, they start making out and, and then she pushes him away. And then it starts to happen again and she pushes him away again. And I think he says something along the lines of, look, this is basically, this is what you wanted. I mean, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm not here to talk. And it sounds like a jerk face move, but it's in that moment that we realize it's not completely his fault. I mean, you couldn't get more obvious with that message that (laughs) this is what he wants or this is what she wants. And so he's responding to that. And that challenge of looking at him with at least some amount of weird sympathy is I think what gives the film a little bit more depth because even he doesn't become, even he takes off the trope of being the sexual predator, the I can get with any girl because it's really, I mean, in some ways it's not his fault. You know, he's just responding to what she asked for, but I love that you brought up the fact that he didn't press that he said, no, forget it. It's done. It's over. I don't, I don't want this. And it's what leads us into, I think a great character moment with her that causes some substantial growth. It's what the coming of age film leans on is that, that growth, those major growth steps. And I think the moments after that were major growth steps for her, uh, which is why I think it was placed in just the perfect spot. We never were thinking that she was going to have this relationship with, with Nick. We didn't know what was going to happen with it. And I think in a lot of ways, the three of us could agree that we wanted her to be with Irwin anyway, because they fit so well. But again, all these things that were happening to her, there was never a lot of like, we're going to focus on this. Like it was never really a focus on her getting with Nick fully or um, her relationship with Irwin or even, you know, even like her, uh, Krista getting with her relation, uh, Krista's relationship with her brother, all those things played into Nadine's story of what she was dealing with. And all of those moments, all of those conflicts, all of those situations lended themselves to helping her grow up. And I, I love that that's a blueprint that, I mean, this should be a blueprint for 
any future coming of age movies, you know, having these pockets of conflict that help you understand more about who you are. And, and I agree, Aaron, I think this is a fantastic screenplay. And for someone who's only had two other films under her belt, that's amazing. I, I strive to be that kind of person who can, who can write that well. And uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I looked her up today and I was, I mean, I didn't know, I never even paid attention to who directed it, which is weird for me, but I thought, Oh, before we start talking about it, I should look this up. And I was so surprised to find out those are first one. And I know that every, every few months on the, it seems on the Facebook group, we get into a discussion about, you know, best uh, first features by directors or whatnot. And uh, this movie probably, I mean, not probably definitely needs to start getting mentioned when, when we start talking about that sort of thing. Cause that's pretty, pretty amazing and insightful and just touches all these right buttons for her first time. It's pretty amazing. And then I also noticed, I also noticed that she didn't, there's nothing else on her page like upcoming. So Hollywood needs to get on hiring her to do something else pretty quickly. At the very least as a screenwriter, you know, well, before we get into our connecting point, I wanted to talk about the, the ending. Um, you know, every movie has to have an ending and unless you're, you know, Lord of the Rings, um, or something like that where you have multiple ones, but you, you get into this wrap up and, Here's a story of of someone who's dealing with depression. We talked a little bit about that. And I'm wondering if you're watching this for the first time, essentially you could chalk it up to one conversation with a brother and an apology to her best friend. And now she's laughing with Erwin. Do you guys feel like the ending wrapped up too nicely? Or do you feel like it was honest? Um, did you feel like it was... Uh, true to the the story as a whole. Um, where did you guys land on that? Well, I can tell you, I enjoy it a lot. I think that it works out very well um, because I never get the sense that Nadine is perfect. The scene with Irwin where things are better is still includes decision points, right? There's, she chooses to go to his his uh, screening, which is a good choice. And at the same time, her mom texts her and she has to deal or calls her and she has to deal with the decision of how to respond to that. And I really, really enjoy, I mean, it was almost my connecting point was that final moment between her and her mom and that text message where it says where her mom is typing out potential responses back to her and, and finally lands on I'm safe. But I think that, that's a great wrap up for her mom and the way in which she has progressed and, and she has grown to now uh, undeservedly give Nadine some trust back. Right. And that's a building block in their relationship. And it, and it, it occurs because Nadine does her part by responding to the text and telling her mom she's okay. So the great choice, you know, is wrapped up in another decision that she has to make. And then there's awkwardness with her and Irwin at the end when they're meeting and it's cute and it's, it's, it's sweet. Um, and then after that, um, what was the crap? What was the other part of the ending? What am I missing? Um, Oh, uh, she talks to her she best friend to, and brother when she comes downstairs. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. When she comes down the stairs, and Darian and Krista are there 
going to make breakfast. I love this scene. It's so sweet. And he says, have a good day. And she says, it's so funny because she says, you as well. And it's, it's very clear that it's not 100% comfortable for her yet, but that she's making an effort. And, right. it, and it shines through in that dialogue and in that performance. She says, you as well, have a good day. And then she turns to leave and then she stops and she comes back. She says, the both of you have a great day. And then the little moment between Krista and Darian there, it's like, oh, I miss her. You know, like everything about this speaks to me of being in process and having made steps, but not being at the destination. So I love the ending. Yeah, I really, I agree with Aaron there. He talked about just those little steps that she takes. And I, uh, I, I struggle with depression quite a bit and I know that it's been something I guess I've seen described in the best way I've ever seen it described is like you're going through this sort of fog. And I know that when it comes to like actually getting out of that fog and, you know, winning a particular battle, that it is a lot of just like making a small choice to do something that you weren't doing when you were depressed and just sort of focusing inward for so long. So like making that decision to, get up and go to that, that thing, that uh, film festival, making the decision to say that kind thing to her brother. I, you know, it, it's funny, at least in my experience, those things can help just clear that fog and really bring victory to a certain battle. I hate to say like, help you snap out of it because I think a lot of times, sometimes people think that, you know, if you're depressed, you just need to snap out of it. And I don't think that's the way it works, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, but making a small decision, you know, for me, um, the last time I had a real tough battle with it. Uh, one of the things I do is I withdraw and I stop going to things and I, you know, do my best (laughs) to never, ever have to go to anything. And, um, so for me, like the last time that I was able to come out of it, it was just a matter of attending a group uh, men's bunch of friends get together for coffee on Thursday mornings. And I had stopped going for about six months just because I was withdrawn and just making that decision to like, okay, I'm going to wake up early today and go. It really just kind of helped. Okay. Clear stuff and start the ball rolling that momentum towards making a decision. So I don't think it was too clean. I think that it leaves you knowing that there's more, uh, she definitely has more work to get, do. I mean, I assume her and her mother are going to have a pretty tough conversation when she gets home. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it really showed the kind of, at least in my experience, what it's like to uh, be depressed and sort of come out of that, that fog. Yeah. Depression, as I've learned, is like any disease. I think we try to wrestle with what we call it. And I think that's what it is, is a disease. And it never really goes away. Um, I have a, a relative that battles alcohol abuse. And what I've learned is that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. You're just either recovering or battling your X number of days, months, weeks, years, uh, sober. And with depression, you're, you're never, whether it's mild or severe, you're never fixed. You're never like, okay, I was this now I'm not it's it's a battle and it's a it's something that you you manage uh, either with 
you know, medication or with social outlets and, or, or whatever helps you cope. And it's not something that, it's not something that necessarily goes away that you defeat, but it's something that you can say doesn't defeat you. And what I liked about the ending here was exactly what you guys were saying, that it wasn't too clean, that it left room for growth, that even at the resolution, it wasn't a full resolution. It wasn't like, and they lived happily ever after. I believe if we were to carry this story forward, if we were thinking about it in a in a pretend world, she'd probably have more fights with her mom and with her brother. Maybe she and Erwin break up and she, and she goes into another funk here and there because she's, she's always going to carry that with her. But Jeremy, you mentioned this need to get out and to be a part of something to at least reconnect. And I was reading a uh, social media comment to an article that was really kind of against the movie that he didn't like how, particularly Woody Harrelson's character was portrayed as a irresponsible teacher uh, and how depression was taken lightly. And what? what? This is why you, you, you shouldn't read comments, Patrick. No, here's no, here, no, the comments weren't the article was doing this and here's the comment back. The oh, comment, okay. the comment in the, in the, in the comment section, because where comments go was basically saying, I can see some of that, but what I know from my experience in depression is really more in line with something like this. And then I, I don't know if this was a line from the movie. I couldn't necessarily uh, pinpoint it or if this was just a quote that they were taking somewhere else, but it said, quote, you can't make all the terrible things just go away, but you can find people who understand and who will go through them with you. And I think by the end of the movie, we have almost not almost, we have every character that Nadine is connected with, with the exception of Nick, who I think live in that role, that they are all in some way, shape, or form willing to understand what she's going through and walk along that path with her, as long as she's willing to contribute. Because, you know, friendship works both ways, to to use the uh, a cliche. And in order for her to heal and to continue to move forward, she's got to open herself up and be vulnerable. She's got to be willing to let some of that hurt be exposed to these people in her life because they want to walk alongside her. And I think that's what this movie does at the end. I think it says each relationship that she has is one that is valuable to her, not because she can suck the life from it, but that they can give life to her as long as she's willing to return that in some way, shape or form. And what we get are glimpses of that with the awkward you as well. Oh, and you too have a good day. Uh, those moments, I think tell us that she wants to make that effort that it's, oh, it's still tough, but that she is, she's making an effort. She's like, I'm opening up and maybe it'll get easier the next day. And maybe the next day after that, but it has to start somewhere. And, and I think there's hope in that. That's what I think I liked about, the way this film wrapped up is that there's hope it's not clean. It's not, and they lived happily ever after. It's really, it's, it's real. It's what I think we all strive for is that in the messiness of life, there's that sense of hope that exists. Well, there's a lot of stuff that I think we could say we connected with, but was there something, a scene, a moment that resonated with you guys 
that you deemed worthy of your connecting points. Uh, Jimmy, why don't we start with you? Was there something there that, uh, that you connected with more than anything else? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I probably about seven or eight things that actually made me cry. <laughs> uh, but the one thing that I think that sets this movie apart for me, as far as coming of age films is at the end of the film festival and when she gives Erwin the flowers and she talks to him and basically says something along the lines of message received and, you know, assuming that the film was about her, he, he jokes with her. She doesn't know, but he says, it wasn't about you. And she responds okay. by saying, oh man, I'm one of those people who thinks everything is about me, aren't I? And I just think that so many, like, I love coming of age films. I think they're wonderful. But so many of them, I guess as I get older and I see, as a parent, I see these teenagers and these college-age students, I just think I'm happy that they're finding happiness, but they're kind of just a little brat who needs to, you know, just start realizing that life doesn't always work out the way that you want it to. And uh, and I just see them as being, I see a lot of these main characters as being pretty self-centered. I mean, you look, I love The Breakfast Club. But, you know, most of those characters are pretty self-centered little brats, really. really? And uh, I, I love them, and they're wonderful. But, um, you know, for her to make that realization, to me, first it just sort of culminates everything she's learned about the movie. And then I'm just sitting there like, yes, you get it, you know. And I think once you make that realization, you can change or, you know, you can try to realize that there's other stuff behind you. And so I just, I think that that, I don't know that, you know, that lots of things made me cry, but that part kind of just makes me get a little fist pump thinking, you know, good job, Nadine. And really, I think it sets apart uh, edge of 17 as one of my favorite coming of age movies, just because of that uh, little moment there at the end. Very cool. Jeremy, Aaron, yeah. what about you? Oh, go ahead. I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that that, that simple phrase and acknowledgement, Again, it's it's about being in process and it's about taking a step and that's a step in her changing. It's not it's not portrayed in a way that so many movies show this result, right? They show it as, oh, oh, epiphany, and all of a sudden I'm a completely changed perfect person, but that's not real life. And so as of seventeen shows us the real way <laughs> that this thing happens. It happens a little piece at a time. One conversation here, one choice there. And so yeah, I really like that too, Jeremy. Um, so for mine, I, I talked about this earlier about how obviously much I loved the Mr. Bruner character and the relationship he has with Nadine. And so that's, that's where my connecting point comes from. And it's the moment in the scene when he is in his office during lunch, not the one that we get with the opening, but the, the second time we get that scene uh, where she comes in and she interrupts him and he's just sitting there silently reading. And uh, it's, it's interesting because the first thing I noticed about the scene is that he's listening. Like we talked about earlier, he, he listens to her and she's going off and she'll kind of pause for a moment and he'll just look at her and she'll start talking again. And so you realize Nadine is not capable of handling the silence, but yet she does get kind of annoying, and so he sharpens his pencil to try and drown her out, of which she continues to talk over. Uh, and it just really speaks to kind of 
her outlook on conversation. She doesn't know how to stop, how to be, how to pause and let someone else have a response. And meanwhile, he is processing, he's taking it and he's thinking, um, he's not reacting on a whim very quickly. His patience is just incredible to me. And it's, it's really something I admired in his character. And I find him just really inspiring, to be honest. Um, she then goes on to completely berate him and she makes fun of him. And like we talked about last week, Patrick, in my, what we've been up to when I was discussing wonder, the great thing about that movie is that it tells us and urges us to choose kind. And Don Shanahan, another one of our feeling film contributors in his review of wonder on every movie has a lesson. He specifically calls out the difference in being kind as uh, the the phrase is from the Cinderella movie from a few years ago is be kind and wonder and, and its author uses the words choose kind. And I feel like that's what Mr. Bruner is doing here. He's choosing kind. He has just been completely unfairly attacked and, and yet what he does is he responds with a little bit of a lightheartedness and then kindness. He says, I've been doing this 23 years and you're the first person to ever underestimate my salary. That made me feel good. I mean that part. And so he diffuses the situation and you can tell in Nadine that this, this brings her down a little bit and kind of like, brings her away from from that heightened sense of like frustration she's feeling and then when he sees that guilt on her face he gets up he walks over to her and he says she's like what are you doing he says i'm giving you half of my cookie why to make you feel better then he goes on to call her his favorite student there's no arguing there's no fighting back there's a little bit of wit but it's just a genuine caring response from a good family man and a good mentor and teacher that I don't know that I've ever seen something that quite equates to this in film before. And this moment is just so amazing to me. And it is the one thing that I think of when I think of this film the most. So I I really connected with this one and I I hope we get characters that are more like Mr. Brunner in films in the future. Definitely. And and Woody Harrelson definitely brings the, uh, bring the character to life in a surprisingly beautiful way. So very I love that you bring up wonder because I, the, the term or the little sentence I haven't been able to get out of my head since I saw that movie last week was when given the chance or given the opportunity between being right or being kind, choose kind. And I think that Mr. Bruner just does a perfect job in that situation. You know, he could argue, he could, he could have told them, told her that he was married and that he has a kid and that he makes, I don't know, you know, however much money, you know, but he doesn't, he gives her a cookie. That's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. He doesn't have to defend himself. He just has to be there because that's who he is. And it gets validated later on when we see him with his family. So uh, very good stuff. Well, as you mentioned before, Aaron, I love movies with, with rounded characters, you know, they're not flat stereotypes and, we mentioned it earlier, but I wanted to kind of isolate this conversation that Nadine and her brother Darren ha- Darian have when he comes by to pick her up when she's at at, uh, at Bruner's house. And I say comes by, he attempts to pick her up because she's being the 
<laughs> she's being Nadine. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And the conversation that he has with her just deflates any kind of stereotype that we've had up to this point. And this is where the unreliable narrator really is amplified. Uh, when he, he begins to say how in a sarcastic way, yeah, he's had it all. He has had the opportunity to do everything, including holding the family together by sacrificing, putting on a brave face and how he's had the opportunity to taking care, to take care of, of their mom. And I love this reveal because even though this is Nadine's story, that we can't deny that she has this ripple effect on people. You know, she's not living in a world, this vacuum where her decisions and her words and her actions don't have consequences to the people around her that it's like you mentioned, Jeremy, it's not just about her. And she, it's very cool that, that that line can probably be coupled with the situation because when she says, I'm one of those people who thinks everything is about me, the whole movie, we're like, that's what we think. This whole movie is about you. And on the surface it is, but it's also about everyone else that she affects. So this conversation really amplifies the, and paints this picture of, of what depression and the stories centering around it focus on. It's about the person being affected. And rarely do we get to see the effect that it has on the people outside of that person. And when, when a story can do that, it allows me as a human being to look at people around me and ask myself, what kind of effect am I having on this person? What is what I'm saying or what I'm doing right now doing to that person's spirit? Am I, am I encouraging that person by what I'm saying? Am I causing that person to think differently about themselves in a negative way? Am I causing that person to become more self-conscious by the things that I'm saying? And this film reminds me that it's the world doesn't revolve around me as much as I don't want to think so, but kind of think so. (laughs) And at the same time, I have an effect on the world in some way, shape or form, positively or negatively. And that needs to be something that's in my mind is how I impact the world around me, how I impact the people that I come into contact with, whether it's through social media or real life conversations. Um, it matters. And I, I really enjoy the fact that this movie brings a kind of levity filled seriousness to that idea that what we say, what we do matters. And we can't use illness to necessarily uh, excuse that. And the fact that she's not a victim in this, that she is equally a part of that is, uh, is refreshing in a story like this. Yeah, I completely agree, man. I, I think it is, is very well done from top to bottom and throughout its entire cast of characters. Well, guys, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed walking through this. And Jeremy, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you on for more regular stuff because the conversations with you are always very cool. 
Uh, maybe we can talk about more dad jokes with a movie in the future, like Mr. Mom. <laughs> but, but yeah, always glad to have you on. And we appreciate all that you do to contribute to the, uh, to the feeling film brand with your feeling TV. I know that I've gotten some good feedback about the things that you bring to the table with regards to that. So where can people find you besides, you know, writing for us on the interwebs? Um, if you want to see me complain about, uh, the president and Husker football, you can follow me on Twitter at JN Lincoln. Um, but if you're wanting like movie chat, your best bet is to follow me on uh, Facebook. I say all the things on Twitter that I, that my, I don't want my parents to see. Um, <laughs> so I don't stay on Facebook. Um, so, so anyway, uh, but yeah, at J and Lincoln is my Twitter handle. Um, and just Jeremy Calcara, C-A-L-C-A-R-A on Facebook. I'm active in the group and yeah, I write, uh, column every week on feeling TV. So fantastic. This is a lot of fun. I like being on here. <laughs> we like having you. Uh, and <laughs> well, like, like I said, we'll, the plan is to uh, is to do this more often. Um, you know, you're you're in you're a part of the team now, and uh, you know you're not only with the Feeling TV, but with your your written reviews you've been pumping out, which of course can be found on the website um, as well. So yeah, it's it's good to good to finally get to to have you on like this with both of us, and I'm excited to do more of that in the future. Aaron, Sweet. what about you? Where can you uh, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me anywhere on the internet at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Mostly active on Twitter and Facebook and in our Facebook group. Uh, and you can also get me tweeting from the Feelin' Film Twitter account as well. Uh, we'd just like to say if you enjoy the show, uh, please like, share, review, support us on Patreon. Uh, but above all, just keep listening. Find another movie that you liked, download that episode, and hopefully you'll enjoy sharing that great conversation with us too. What about you, Patrick? Where can people find you? Well, I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm pretty, well, I'm about 35 to 45% active in the Facebook group when I can. Life's pretty busy. But um, I'm definitely a a troll at, at the very least. I like reading a lot of the comments. And if you uh, if you want to get a conversation going with me there, just at me. That way I'll make sure to, uh, to, to definitely check that. But you can find me in the Facebook group. I'm usually the one posting the uh, weekly poll questions in conjunction with Aaron and um, any funny memes that might come out with regards to movies here and there. But you can also find out more about me at my website, thisispatch.com. I've got some written content there with regards to my uh, my response to film from a faith perspective, as well as photography, um, other writings, and things like that. So be sure to check out that stuff if you're interested. Be sure to check out the website, feelingfilm.com, if you want to catch all of our uh, back episodes, minisodes, things like that. Find out more about the show itself, about our contributors like Jeremy. And, uh, yeah, join the Facebook group. Cause that's really where all the magic happens, where all the conversations are, are happening and, uh, just keep listening. But in the meantime, as we always say, we hold, and we don't say that because we haven't announced that the next week's episode, uh, yes. is going to be Coco. So we, we did a little, uh, week long break on Coco, like we did on Thor Ragnarok okay. uh, in order to allow more people to get a chance to see it over the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, so we'll be dropping that episode next and hopefully everyone will tune in for that one. And it will be thank you for that Pixar hit. Yes. Thank you for that reminder, Aaron. I, I failed to say that, but 
as I was going to say before, stay positive. And now you can keep feeling film. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>